Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Bobby Byrne, CIO at Edward Elmhurst Health. In this segment, Byrne discusses the challenge CIOs face in creating an engagement strategy that meets the needs of all patients, how they're leveraging an employee pilot to learn more about video visits, and which she found to be the most difficult aspect of leading through a merger. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvata, the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at Improvata.com. One of the other areas I wanted to touch on was um, the, the new role that you have as uh, Executive VP of Consumer Driven Health. And uh, it, it seems like something that should dovetail pretty well with the CIO role. But can you just talk about what, what this sure. uh, role entails? Yeah, so it's um, it's actually kind of interesting because I was when we I had been talking about this role with um, our CEO Pam Davis, and we're trying to figure out exactly where the boundaries of the role are and what types of things we should be doing. And I was describing it to a colleague in the organization, and I, they were saying, "Well, what does this mean?" And I sort of was talking a little bit about the about some of the strategies, and they said, "Oh." I didn't know that that was consumer-driven health. I yeah. thought that's just the way we did things. And I think right. that that's part of it is that uh, we really pride ourselves in moving quickly, tolerating mistakes, sort of failing fast, moving on and trying something new and different. So this, uh, the, this role and kind of this consumer-driven health team, the concept is healthcare is changing. We absolutely want to be... Um, leading in some areas, fast following in other areas, and we want to make sure that the focus on the consumer is first and foremost as we're making some of these changes. So it's, it's not a total left turn for the organization. It's just sort of a continuation of what we've been doing. And we really think of it as a, a couple of different categories. So one is how do we increase access? How do we make it easier for patients to access our system. So that's a whole bunch of things around um, online scheduling, chat, kind of patient engagement access type of things. The second piece are, is virtual care. So this is video visits in all the different kinds of categories, which we could talk about kind of how we break them out. So how do we do video visits in all of these different kinds of categories? And then the third area is really around um, pricing, pricing transparency, selective discounting, you know, how do we respond to the consumer who is increasingly paying a lot more of their healthcare dollar with high deductible plans, et cetera, how do we really appeal to that, to that kind of consumer? Right. And underlying it all is saying that there is not really one consumer anymore. Um, my, you know, 90 one-year-old mother is very different than my 18-year-old daughter in the way that they consume healthcare and the way they want to consume healthcare. So we really even, you know, even if they had a similar request for a primary care uh, appointment. So we really need to be responsive to the different segments um, of, our, of our patients as, you know, as they really do act more like consumers. Right. And I can imagine that that is a difficult thing to kind of get a handle on because, like you said, we're talking about a really huge variety in terms of patients and, and with the, the youngest generation, we're just seeing so much more um, engagement than ever before. So I, I imagine it's a lot to kind of stay on top of, of those uh, various needs. 
and I, and I would say that it's not it's not even just generational, but it's it's almost even within the generations and the market segments are more and more personalized. So, you know, months ago we used to have these arguments about whether we should be really involved in wearables and Fitbit and how that engage, you know, how that kind of came into the EMR and and those types of things. When you realize it is a small segment of the population who is very excited about that. That doesn't mean that our entire strategy is around wearables because that would be silly. That would be you know, leaving out a huge portion of the population. But we need to have something for that small segment of the population that's really, really into their Fitbit and wants to make sure that their Fitbit record or their, and their kind of activity record is in some way linked with their, with their medical record. What, what it ends up being is, I, I want to say, just a huge list of just different initiatives that hit uh, a segment of the population. Even, you know, even something like online scheduling, which you would think is just for everybody because nobody books a, an airline uh, ticket on the phone anymore. But right. you know, there, it's not for everybody, not yet. It, we have to sort of you know, let, that, uh, let that evolve as sort of even educate people that it's available and, and uh, you know, get them to use it. Right. And it's, uh, so that, that's just a really an, an ever-evolving strategy. Yes, I think it's we we are trying to pull our patients a little bit along with this. So I cannot imagine why anybody for a routine appointment would want to pick up the phone when they could just, you know, go onto our website, peruse the available appointments for their physician, compare it with their own, you know, work and family calendar and pick the time um, and location that works best for them. I, that to me just, I can't even imagine why I want to sit on the phone and do that. But, no. you know, we just need to sort of keep pulling, um, pulling people along and showing them the convenience. Right. And uh, I want to get into a little bit more about some of the uh, the virtual care offerings because this is this is something that I think is, seems like it's it's ramping up a bit again. And I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things you're doing there. You mentioned video visits. Yes. So video visits, I will say, are a challenge. Um, I do think we are ready now. I, I think from a from a, a, a technology perspective, from a an interest from a patient interest from a provider interest I think that we are there so even though people have been talking about video visits for really a long time I I feel like there's just enough coming together that that we can do this Um, so what we have done so far is launched low acuity video visits so this is you know, rashes, colds, flus, sinusitis, UTI, those types of things. Um, we've launched it only to our employees, and we've launched it for no charge. And that's because we really want to get some adoption and, um, and really start to learn quite a bit about the pace and the cadence of how video visits work. Um, the clinicians that we have on the other end of receiving these video visits are um, advanced practice clinicians, uh, so APNs and PAs, who actually are currently located in our retail sites, which are in Jewel Osco stores, which is a grocery store slash pharmacy. So we have um, 13 Jewel Osco locations. So we have a, a fair number of of clinicians that are out in the retail sites who, who also can be set up for video visits. And the things that we have learned, we've only been doing this now for about a month, the things that we have learned even in a short time frame are, are really tremendous. There's certainly some technology issues, especially as you're trying to get connectivity through a camera. There's no doubt. Um, we, you need to troubleshoot some of those. The, um, the patients are not 
always 100% sure what's appropriate for a video visit, even if we put the list of you know, types of complaints on the screen. Um, the clinicians themselves are learning how to do video visits. How do you do a physical exam over, the, over a video is very different. So there's a fair amount of, um, of learnings that we've already gotten from these on this low acuity, these low acuity visits. I think as we do in our next round of visits, which will be behavioral health and some chronic care conditions, I think we can take the learnings from this, from this first pilot uh, and translate it. The other challenge that you know, we've established or we've taken care of because this is our employees and we've made them free is the whole payment mechanism for this is, right. is a little bit um, – at least in our state, it's a, it's a little bit unclear. There's, there, video visits are not covered under most insurances um, as an in-person visit would be. And so trying to, trying, trying to figure out where the dollars flow in this scenario is, is interesting. I, I kind of keep saying it's the return of cash to healthcare. You know, yeah. somebody is very likely to pay, willing to pay, you know, between 30 and $50 for a video visit um, if it means they don't have to leave work you know, take their kid out of school, do, you know, do all of those things. The convenience might be there. Um, but for some of these other mechanisms, people may not be willing to pay cash for them. So we, we have to figure that one out too. That's, that's not always clear. Right. That's interesting. And it, 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 it seems like a smart way to kind of pilot this uh, on that level and, and, like you said, be able to, to apply some of the lessons learned because this has been talked about for a while, but, but it, it kind of needs that jump start. So maybe getting some results and getting some learnings is the way to do that. Absolutely. And that goes back to our culture where it's okay to try something and then um, make the decision that, hey, that worked great and let's keep going, or, hey, you know, that didn't really work. we gotta, we got to make a turn. Um, and then you know, in some other organizations, I, I know that people want things to be really fully baked before you roll them out. We have no problem piloting and no problem saying like, oh, yeah, that was a bad idea. We shouldn't, you know, let's not do that again. So um, the jury's still out on, on, how this, on how these employee video visits are working. The, yeah. the employees that have had a successful visit are very satisfied, right. but we've had some employees who, you know, have kind of attempted to have a video visit and it wasn't an appropriate reason for a visit and they ended up having to be seen in person anyway. So we have to just figure out that balance. Right. It's one of those things where you have to start somewhere or it's never going to get off the ground. Exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. And um, we had mentioned uh, earlier on the call about the merger. It's about three years ago. And uh, you had already been with the organization for a couple years at that point, right? Right. Yes. I had been, um, I was on the legacy Edward side for, uh, oh boy, about six and a half years. Okay. So then the merger goes through and... Uh, and obviously, it is not a simple thing. It, I'm sure that there are so many moving parts and pieces. And one thing I wanted to ask was, was what you found to be challenging, uh, you know, from a leadership aspect as far as uh, going through this big change. I think I think going through a merger, it's really, really hard work. And and I think the challenge is that you're learning another organization's culture very, very quickly and trying to create kind of relationships very quickly. I was actually thinking that when we first merged, I really wanted to get the hospital, Elmhurst Hospital and Epic as soon as possible, because I knew that until we sort of were all on one system, we were always going to be kind of struggling with certain problems. But I'm actually glad now that 
that uh, it's been three years and because this implementation has been so much smoother because now people know each other, they have some trust, they have relationships, they, they understand sort of the differences in the processes, et cetera, and we were really able to plan and, and do a nice quality job. We implemented the physician's right away after the merger, and we did it very quickly. And the reason why we did that is because um, we were up against the first ICD-10 timeline. Okay. So we were trying to get the system in prior to the first ICD-10 date, and then okay. we were about, I don't know, 50% through the implementation, and um, the date moved. But since we were already kind of in our implementation, we kept going. And the challenge was that there was huge amounts of staff turnover, which I think always happens in a merger, but it really can make implementations very difficult when you have kind of key um, leaders and key personnel who are leaving. So a person that you're partnering with today on a particularly tough topic is, you know, two weeks from now not here anymore. So that's, that's a huge problem. You don't know, you know, you just don't know each other very well. You don't know the landmines. You don't know how um, things really get done within within another organization, and you you really rely on those things within an implementation. The other piece that I don't think I expected was how you interact with your peers, even your peers who had been my peers from before the merger, and how much of a learning process it is for everybody. So. We were maybe like six months into the merger, and we had been talk to, talking about combining data centers because Edward had two legacy data centers. Elmhurst had two legacy data centers. Yeah, you know, I mentioned our partnership with DuPage Medical. They have two data centers. I actually have no idea what the right number of data centers for us to have, but it's not six. Yeah. So it sort of seemed like we need to, you know, we need to start doing some work here. So we engaged you know, one of our partners in a consulting manner in order to help us go through the data centers. And so I'm at our senior team meeting, and I said, oh, we got our data center consolidation uh, strategy back from the consultant, the recommendations. And the recommendations are it's a 13-step process over four years, $10 million. And everybody around the table said, oh, it's going to save $10 million? I said, no, it's going to cost $10 million. And it was really interesting to me that everybody looks at IT and they say, oh, there's a lot of money being spent on IT. Well, if we merge, for sure we should be able to save some money. Right. And I think long term, you probably can save some money. I will tell you three years in, we're, not, we're maybe starting to hit some money-saving um, opportunities because you have to spend a whole lot of money to get onto a single platform, to get into a single system, a single network, single email, et cetera. You have to spend a whole bunch of money before you ever start seeing savings. Um, and I think that's just a big you know, education piece for, my, for myself and for my peers. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.